Howdy. <laughs> that was an impressive opening. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Madness, but my dad has abandoned me. So I've been the games, and I figured we'd just do another episode of Connect This. I think Henry and Rye are way overqualified to work on this show. I've just decided. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. I'm excited to have our regular guests, our regular guests back. Um, let me do a quick introduction. We've got Doug Dawson at CCG. Welcome back. Hey, welcome back to you too, Chris. It's just really good to be here because I haven't stirred up any crap and it's Thursday, so let's go. <laughs> and uh, I just want to note that um, my Minnesota Gopher men are not in the tournament. Uh, your Maryland men are not I'm in the tournament, in the but tournament. your women are looking good in the tournament, I think. We'll so We will see. Yeah. Uh, we got Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber. Welcome back. Thank you, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, Happy I am St. Patrick's Day. 97.1% Irish um, and English. So this is my day. These these are my people. So I'm happy. What are you doing on here? <laughs> we'll cover that in a second. I'm not sure she has been sober for the whole day. Uh, <laughs> and we got Travis Carter, our regular co-host. Welcome back, Travis. Thank you, Chris. Uh, just hanging out here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Excellent. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, okay. Where Travis will... Take three rights to avoid. There you go. All right, I was waiting for it. Yes, <laughs> I'm on. I'm on uh, Wi-Fi, so we'll see how successful we are today. Excellent. And I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self Reliance. Uh, I am so excited. I love March Madness, um, but without my dad around to watch the games with him, not as I did. I did bring my brackets though, so um, I've got those set up in case anyone wants to join me in that. So. Is that from the basement? <laughs> We have a we have a video to start with that uh, Travis has contributed. This is a uh, um, uh, Travis apparently so alienated his friend that he's riding on the outside of his vehicle. Oh no, he's on the inside. It looks like. <laughs> All right, so so driving from Phoenix to Albuquerque, I couldn't believe it, and I'm I'm curious if we could ever find out who actually successfully permitted this project. But they've been running a macro trench in the. Um, in the shoulder of the interstate and about every mile it looked like they were putting in a microduct system and about every mile they would branch off to a series of handholds on the side of the road that they extended the extended and kept going it, it was just it was, it was a i don't I have no idea how they successfully navigated this to get this done. so that's that's a, a state highway or uh a u.s it's not a, it's not an interstate right it, well, that's a good question. It must be a state highway, yes. So it was all the way from Phoenix <coughs> to Albuquerque. One lane, both directions. Yep. Actually, should... I think it was from Phoenix to Flagstaff. Sorry, no, it was it was two lanes each way. Okay, you should send me which road it was. Really, really cool use of uh, you know getting you know getting mid or long haul fiber in, because I don't know how they would have. And Kim probably knows this better than I do, but the geography out there, wow. Wow, digging out with all of you know the landscape issues and the boulders and everything. At first, I was like, I was wondering if it was the Arizona, um, like middle mile or that project they're putting in out there, but then if it's going all the way to Flagstaff, no, that can't be the case. That's the Arizona state project, so I have no idea who it is, but yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting environment. But I yeah. want to know 
who like like the person who's driving you must be a thrilling guest um as a passenger as you're filming micro trenching all the way well in every little town we go into and we see a fiber optic company we u-turn back and i like to take pictures of it and see if they're open and then knock on the door and then see if people are willing to talk it's it's amazing the number of projects there are between uh san diego and minneapolis i'm, I'm really surprised i just looked and there is a interstate between there and there's also a four lane state highway 260 you were probably on 260. because i can't imagine they ever got that on a federal interstate so. it did no, not I don't look like an interstate to me yeah so yeah I'd this is how you are route, I am. yeah route 260 I, which is a straight line man so yeah, I just follow what Garmin tells me. I don't even know where I am half the time, but I thought it was just fascinating how they did it. Well, if you look back on it and you can give us a sense of where it was, uh, there's folks in Arizona we can ask to see if anyone yes. are familiar with it. Awesome. We have uh, one other multimedia um, little surprise, I think, queued up. Is that right? Did you get the email, Henry? Uh, if not, I'm just going to look at myself here for a second and assume you didn't. Um, we'll move on to the first topic and you can just surprise us with that later on. The um, uh, Sean asked, what's the difference between macro trenching and micro trenching? I don't think there, I mean, the macro is just a word that we put up because it, it looks like it's bigger than a micro trench. You can dig, even micro trenching machines will go three inches wide and hardly any, in a city street, you would never do that because it hurts the street. Yeah, it but was a shoulder, it was a shoulder like that. Who cares, right? Right, in that climate, right? Because I mean, like up right. here, if you did that and then it froze a couple of times, oh, yeah. it would just separate. Like, it, even, it would be two roads. Yes. <laughs> Effectively, you like still have that picture I, I sent you the other day of the handhole. I think Kim and Doug might get a kick out of this, what we deal with. The frozen one? Yeah, the ice cube. I'll, I'll dig it out in a little bit if I if I have a chance to, to look away. Um the um, uh, Illinois is doing something interesting, or specifically a Democrat in Illinois. I don't know how many other Democrats are supportive of this, but um, Doug, do you want to fill us in on uh, on that piece of news? Yeah, they are talking about changing the state law so that municipalities are not eligible for the bead grants, the federal $42 billion grants, of which Illinois is, has to get more than a billion dollars. So there's at least a billion dollars coming to the state. And if they do that, then that's not going to pass muster at the NTIA. And if the NTIA rejects their plan, they simply don't get funded. And they're not the only state. We're having this battle in North Carolina. North Carolina has a prohibition against municipal. And, and if you want to get that money, you have to relax it for this one set of grants. And so th there may be several states who don't get their money. And I know in this state, there's going to be an uprising. I mean, there has been... 50 counties here who have had broadband committees for five years and if they don't get these grants i will not want to be a legislator in, in raleigh so, well the the thing is yeah. is that the thing is that if the state does not uh follow uh get a plan approved the state has to get a plan approved with ntia if they do not do that then localities can apply for the money and right. so ntia needs to develop a process in which they would handle that i would um, hope i would hope that this would lead them to do that because there's probably going to be three or four states who don't not get their money and i think guy. i you know i'm, I'm from an organization that believes in local self-reliance uh we are very much opposed to preemption uh it really upsets me that states preempt and i understand that states <coughs> chafe when the federal government preempts it does strike me as one thing that like north carolina has long just 
screwed its communities. Um, it's another thing for Illinois to be like, hey, we're about to get all this money. We're just going to like totally say, no, we're not going to follow the federal law. It's yeah. bizarre to me. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like North Carolina can believe what they are. They can be in like charters, back pocket, whatever. But like for Illinois to be like, oh, here's all this money. Let me just give it away and still have a broadband problem it is just flipping dumb. Now, there, there is one counter idea here. Illinois has a budget surplus this year, and they could turn that down and fund it themselves. Well, Trump, I don't, I, I don't think there's been any talk of that, but that's possible. <laughs> no, no, that's that's <laughs> insanity. <laughs> it would be insane. It would be insane. Yeah. The um, this, politics this, we're talking about. Illinois just raised their gas tax in order to fund uh, a major investment in better roads and 420 million in new broadband. But I mean, they can't turn out a billion dollars. There's too much of the state that desperately needs it. I, oh, wow. I just, I mean, it's it's just remarkable to me to have this idea that like they should. It wasn't just municipal networks it was partnerships they're pretty explicit about it i mean it's just well, no. does this guy does he actually have strings on his hands i mean like is that how it works like, <laughs> the way that law is written if an isp comes and builds 90 percent of the money on their own pocket and a, and a, and a county gives them a hundred thousand dollars of one percent matching the project doesn't apply i mean it, it's an absolute ban so okay let's crazy. Play crazy. what is the reason why they would turn down this money like what is one? There's place? only one possible reason. It's the same reason that California's been nutty. The lobbyists got to them. That's the only possible reason. I mean, California Democrats have been pro AT and T for 40 years, so that has nothing to do with party. So it's it's money and lobbying. That's the only possible reason. Because there's no same reason. Well, this this brings us to an interesting uh, piece, which is that AT&T had revealed that it created a whole team to go after this money. And by a whole team, I assume that they mean two teams, <laughs> one team to try and figure out how to get the federal dollars that are available via the states and the other team to lobby to try to make sure no one else could get the money. So um, that's some of what's going on. But AT&T is they're trying to get at least a billion dollars of the federal money to distribute, which admittedly for them is a small amount. They got more than they got three billion, I think more more than $3 billion from the most recent Connect America fund, which they just pocketed. They didn't... Um, I just saw Doug, and I realized, Travis, we're going to bring you back into this in a second, but um, Doug, you had said that they really didn't do much with the fixed wireless, and I hadn't heard anyone else talk about it, and I discount what you say on a regular basis, so I mostly ignored it. But then I saw in their investor call that they have 120,000 fixed wireless subs. But is, they've been claiming that they've had this for five years. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously they haven't. I mean, like that's great for AT&T no. to be like in front of like 50 million homes and have 120,000 subs. Because like, what they actually told their investors very recently was they're actually going to launch the product for real in August. Which even knows, though they, Now, also what they've just said is by 2025, they're going to get rid of half their copper. They're going to get rid of it. And, and unless they have this product out there, they have nothing to replace it with. And this product doesn't work in half rural areas anyhow because you don't have any cell phone coverage. So they're uh, this is an odd company. Now remember, six months ago they said they they upped their forecast of fiber passings from 25 million to 30 million. The extra five million are these grants. So they they expect to pass five million more passings. So they're going to want more than a billion dollars. Do the math. So they they didn't say a bigger number because they didn't want to scare people. Their problem is. What state's going to give them the money except for the three or four states who are in their pocket? So. Well, I'm curious. I mean, we're in some of the work we're doing in some of these counties, um, county boards uh, are like, well, 
uh, AT&T is asking for money, and we're not hearing from anyone else. So I guess we'll see if we can get the state to give AT&T our money. They just don't know what to do. Right. Well, that's the problem. I just wrote a blog about the other day. You know, if you don't have an ISP pestering you for the money who's local, you may not have another choice. Remember that those you know, big telcos, Frontier, CenturyLink, and, and Windstream, all those guys bought up all the independent telephone companies. There's giant swaths of America where there aren't any of those guys. And so if you don't have a co-op and you don't have those guys around, who are you going to give the money to? So, Well, that's where I'm curious. And so, Travis, uh, when you and I were talking, like, even just three or four years ago, I feel like you were like, hey, Chris, like, if you, you know, know of any interesting opportunities in places that are warm in the winter where I can build year-round, I'd be interested. And then last year, I felt like you were like, nah, I think I'm going to focus on Minneapolis and this area. And, like, I wasn't sure. <coughs> where are you at with that? Like, would you build in Albuquerque if you had the opportunity? Mm, I don't. So here, here's the problem, and I learned this problem when we, when we rolled out this opportunity in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Getting financing for upstart fiber networks from traditional lenders is, I'm, I'm not even going to say virtually impossible, impossible. Right. So that's where the whole thing stalled. Even if you got 50% matching money from the state, the Fed, the county, you know, outer space it doesn't matter where it comes from you're still liable for the other 50 cents your traditional lenders will not lend against it unless somebody is willing to either personally guarantee it with strong assets they have or if a company like utopia or usi or somebody that's been around for years and years and years will will backstop the debt so it it, it really takes you the wind out of your sail very very quickly on these all these federal dollars that are there it's it's sort of irrelevant if you can't get financing for the and, rest and that's a warning that i've been putting out because there's a whole lot of folks thinking about starting new isps just because of that they're not getting financed nobody trusts them nobody the, no. they, well you shouldn't yeah and, they, and the federal government and the states already know better because they learned that lesson in 2009 they're not absolutely. giving money to untried people so yeah, yeah. No, and i i actually was my one question for this was for Kim is if Kim had to start over today, could you get Utopia off the ground? And, and I, mean, I, I would say from our no. standpoint, I don't think we could. I don't think we I, could. I think the only thing that we have over you, Travis, is that we have the ability to have a backstop from the cities yep. Um, yep. to start off. So if you're looking at that you don't have any secure financing or any secure assets behind it, I don't know if you can, right? And I think that is a trouble. And when people are looking at this, and I hear this every day from Utopia, and I'm assuming you hear it um, if, like where you are, is people are like, well, how'd you guys do this? You've made it look so easy. We can go get financing. And I'm like, the financing that we've gotten at in Utah and the financing we helped get in Bozeman, Montana, is because of the Utopia name and the track record for the past mm -hmm. 20 years not what we're walking into the market to today it's a totally different it's a totally different uh, aspect or and like game but a lot of people don't see that they think that since we say it's so easy to get financing that they can get financing easy as well i'm still stunned today that every week we will get a senior lender wanting to take our business on board so when we started i couldn't even get anyone to to, to borrow me 10 cents yeah so that, so we so, just it's, it's to answer your question, it's really just how big of liability do I want to take on personally? And where right. is my level there? And when you look at it, and a lot of these operators are going to be a little older. So if you're 50 years old, how much liability do you want to take on? Because 
you don't have a lot of runway to start over. Right. So do you want to yeah. do you want to try and hire people and be in a place that you're not familiar with and try to do this? If it, you're now liable for it, you're probably not. Well, I would tell you this: if if I was to do it again, I would not do. I would do it in a major market though, where you have density. Density is the thing that we really benefit from, is and that has the large incumbents. But would I go to Chicago or would I go to Denver or any of these other? No, I just don't know the politics of those cities. And would they shut us down instantly, even if I could get financing to build? But I, think I, I need to put what Travis just said in perspective. He said that's my that life. he he said because he said something <laughs> that's really actually profound that you have to put your whole company on the line as collateral. People don't realize when they get that electric or that telephone co-op next door to come and build a three-county area, they put their entire co-op up as collateral. And if this thing fails, they all go they go out of business. And no, I think this. I, I mean, so, they they have to completely pledge their business to borrow this kind of money. So. I don't. So I'm confused by that because I thought the whole point of them creating subsidiaries and subsidiaries in many of these states is because they cannot tie those that to it because they do not want to bring the entire electric system down. And by they, I mean the states will not allow the co-ops to bring their entire electric system down with a foolhardy investment. I know. I said telephone co-ops. Electric co-ops okay. are not allowed to do that. You're correct. Okay, right. Because Thank FERC, you. FERC actually regulates people where the FCC doesn't, you know. So. There's others at ILSR who might challenge that. We could we could talk about that another day. So we have um, we have one other topic that I wanted to hit real quick before we bring Sasha on. <coughs> and that is that um, Lafayette, Louisiana, um, you know, the person who founded Lafayette, Louisiana, Terry Huval, um, I just I loved him to death. Great guy. Fascinating individual. The mayor that brought it to that, that brought it, you know, he's been he'd been replaced by another mayor who frankly um i didn't want to have anything to do with and um who in some ways tried to cripple the system it felt like but lafayette utility system has just plotted on without my help somehow without me paying attention to it and and is really doing some cool <laughs> stuff they got a, a grant um in order to uh, expand service to some unserved areas around them it involves 1500 census blocks uh this is in a news story that we we might have be able to throw up on a banner or a link to it i'm not sure uh put it some might put it in the comments um and they um, had their big ISPs around them challenged their grant in, in more than a thousand of the 1500 census blocks. And then when those were evaluated, nearly all of them, like more than 99% of them, only four of those challenges were held up. This, this should be criminal. Like this is absurd that these, that these big companies can get away with this to just try to stop an investment into an area that sorely needs it. So Doug, you also paid attention to this. Well, and what you have to, we just saw that and, and everyone who filed a, a, one of the NTIA grants six months ago were just challenged across the board. CenturyLink, down there, they were challenged, I'm sure, by Cox and AT&T largely. And so, and so the ILACs are just challenging by the hopes that you'll give up and give up on some of them. They, so it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong, they're simply challenging them all. And it's a real administrative hassle because it meant, in this case, that the NTIA had to actually go and clear each one of them. And it's a whole lot of work and it's a massive burden on the granting agencies. And that was a $200 million grant process. The $42 billion grant process has a challenge in it. Everything that somebody tries to do is gonna be challenged. That's gonna be an absolute nightmare. And I think that's the point, right? So we're at yeah. these federal programs that have all the flexibility and, you're, and we say, we love the flexibility that these federal government <laughs> programs are providing. And that 
you can go spend this money if you feel like your county is not getting these speeds or whatever. Like some of those, that language is in there, but that's what you're seeing in Lafayette is that they're going to challenge them with this. Um, and is this going to happen? Is this not going to just start in Lafayette? Is this going to go across the country of what we're seeing? On these well, yeah, we saw, we, there's it's a Knox, across the country. Yeah. Yeah. We, we wrote about it in New Hampshire as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But here's the thing, right? This is, this is present preventable. This is the sort of thing where policy should have prevented this, right? To some extent, well, Minnesota. Well, Congress, wrote, Congress wrote the rules right in the damn law. Okay, well, that's a problem. So Minnesota, you know, in Minnesota, got their words in. That's what happened. If in Minnesota you um, engage in a challenge that is then not upheld, uh, you lose the ability to challenge. Oh, no, uh, I, in, in Minnesota, they don't even take challenges from people like CenturyLink anymore. They just said, "Go away." <laughs> but I think that Doug brings up a good point, though. How many of these entities have the manpower to challenge? And how many are going to really pursue when it gets nasty? And I think the incumbents are just looking and saying, oh, these guys will give up because they're a small mom and pop and they don't want to challenge the big guys because they think they're going to lose. And it's going to be a problem with this federal money that's coming out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so then I guess the question is, and I think we've asked this before, what percentage of this federal dollars go to the incumbent provider in the area? Is it well, 50%, 90%, all of it? I, no, I think if you add up all the plans of all the guys, they're probably all collectively going for 30 or 40% of it. It's a lot. Okay. It's hard because they, they don't all care going about the other areas. Like, at and I mean, you know, Frontier, uh, even the old CenturyLink, the new CenturyLink is going to be in there, Windstream, they're all going after it. But I think Charter's like, going after a bunch. So, right. But yeah. I think it's worth noting, like, I don't think AT&T is going after much in Mississippi, right? Like they have areas where they're going, but there's other areas that they're just not even going to compete for. And that's why, Travis, the number might be lower than you would think. Right. But won't the incumbent in Mississippi go for it, then? AT&T is the incumbent. AT&T is like all of Mississippi. I mean, like, okay. so what, what Doug was saying earlier, there's no small companies. I mean, C Spire would get mad at me for saying that, but, like, there's no, like, there's not a real tradition of small companies in a lot of these states. If you map the map of Mississippi and you map AT&T and all the incumbents, you can barely find the incumbents on the map. They're little tiny dots, right? So. So, so then what happens? Are, are, we, are, we, are, we, are we expecting a bunch of new entrants into the market to take these dollars and run with it? I expect those giant investment-driven firms who are coming in with a billion dollars each of equity to be in these grants. Yeah. I mean, I was I, we don't know this, who so they are. We, they're, they're just going to appear, and they're going to be mystery bidders. You watch. There's going to be a bunch of them. So, Travis, are you bidding for any of this money at all? No. No, I don't. I don't think we qualify for it. So not and, in Minneapolis, but if no, you wanted our, to, our, our business model is pretty static now. You know, of, of the direction we're heading, we're, we're like I said, we're using the, uh, you know, kind of the the tailwind that's been generated through doing this for ten years to to just do traditional financing, et cetera, et cetera. Plus all the rules that I've seen, it would be real tough to operate within those parameters. So I just so, prefer to kind of do it by myself. There's a there's a bunch of stuff I want to continue on, but we're gonna have to we're gonna stop there for a second. Um, bring Sasha on in a second. Before that, uh, we are lucky to have Kim with us today. Um, she had a, a real doozy of uh, of an experience that uh, we're gonna share here. I think uh, Henry. Um... <laughs> oh, no. That was, that was about um, an hour and a half ago. That was where I was um, taking my little rest break on the slopes. And your ankle still works? Yeah. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Nice. 
I'm a, I'm, I'm still, I'm 41. My ankle's still holding strong. Give me another 10 years. I feel like it might be gone. Wow. Travis, I just want to know, what do you think about her goggles? <laughs> well, that's where I was going. I don't know if we've seen those. Uh, those are, I like them. Yeah. They are they bigger, okay? They're bigger than any other goggles I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she could bring those out on a future episode. So. <laughs> Oh, for sure. If you're going to safety conscious, she is. She had a helmet on and everything. So well done. If you wear those goggles, though, you have to have like a like a a head thing that has like antenna sticking up from it. (laughs) Yes. Well, she probably did, but they probably broke off when she fell. (laughs) And I was going like I was just going like really slow when I finally fell today. It wasn't even like going fast. So I just was really excited (laughs) to talk about what governments are doing right. I like that had me really excited today. So I like it. So with that, let's bring on Sasha Meinrath, uh, someone who uh, has been working, um, you know, in this space, non-traditional ISPs for a very long time. Uh, Palmer chair uh, in telecommunications at Penn State is what I saw. Um, But uh, but Sasha, you've been involved in many things in XLab, certainly um, key among them. Uh, Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Hello, uh, connectivity compadres. It's awesome to be here. I just want to make sure before we get going, you're not going to bring up any embarrassing pictures of him, are you? Oh, of Sasha? Yeah. Mutually assured destruction if he does. That's awesome. <laughs> Very good. No, uh, with Sasha, what I'm what I'm curious about, I think we should start out is our idea of like what what should be done outside of the box. And Sasha, you in particular, I wanted to bring on because I have noodled on this, and then you brought it up independently, and I was like, ah, maybe I'm more crazy than I thought, or maybe I'm not. I don't know. Um, but the idea that making sure that that cities are building networks, why not just make sure everyone is connected? So run us through what you're thinking about. Yeah, well, you know, it's crazy to me that we keep having all these conversations about affordable connectivity without talking about free connectivity. And it's crazy to me that we keep talking about, you know, internet is an essential service, a critical infrastructure without talking about universality of that infrastructure. And so, you know, eventually we're going to kind of become a little bit more enlightened and we're going to say, look, baseline connectivity, everyone just needs to have. It's like, you know, water, shelter, food, right? And in a 21st century economy, it's clear that when you don't create a universal service mandate, uh, you're purposefully engaging in policy at the local, state, federal level that is basically institutionalized racism writ large. And so if you want to really talk about digital equity, I think we need to put back on the table universal free connectivity. And it's not so crazy when you really think about it. I mean, what is every <coughs> single university campus doing today? Universal free connectivity for everyone on campus. And to expand that to a slightly larger campus, let's say a, you know, a city, municipality, a county, to me is the next logical step in a, I think, a 21st century civil society. So I and many others have started sort of pushing a little more actively on this. And of course, for the last 22 years, I've been pushing this very idea, first in community broadband and then into kind of larger scale networking initiatives. But I think that which was total crazy radical tinfoil hat insanity 20 years ago is beginning to enter the mainstream. And so this is different than, say, like everyone gets gig connectivity, although that would be lovely. 
but certainly there should be a baseline where we just say, look, this is so important. Let's what make sure the, we have that. What do you, what is the baseline to you, Sasha? Just like, uh, that's I mean, where I get stuck too. Yeah. I would set it at the 25 by three mark, right? That just says, look, this is, we, we all know that's pretty minimal to begin with. It is the, the minimum amount to be, you know, qualifies federal definition of broadband. Well, I think that I, I agree. I don't disagree with you that we lo should look at like providing a baseline. But what like when Google Fiber came into the marketplace, they came in with this free product, right? And they yeah. came in and it was like three or something. Small. It was like five. Yeah, it was DSL. Yeah. It was like it was like a DSL product. Yeah, it was very minimal. And at least in Utah, from what I was hearing, they saw a huge uptick of customers choosing. <laughs> I knew a web developer who was so cheap that they were using the free Google like fiber service in promo, yeah. which blows my mind. But I think if you're talking 25.3, a lot of the country can get by with that with like with not subscribing to something else, which yeah. blows the business model out of the like out of the water for these other companies, which but I don't disagree with the concept of it either. So it's like I agree with probably where Chris is coming from. I agree with what you're saying, but I don't know what the practicality yeah. of how it can be. I think, I think we need to really look at these business models very carefully, right? Once the ISPs realized that we were looking at their profit margins, they stopped publishing any useful information <laughs> that would let us look at their profit margins. But especially when you have an opportunity like 42.45 billion covering capital expenditures for so many networks, the ROI that you need, the, the average return per user shifts dramatically, right? If you have no debt servicing on these networks, uh, all of a sudden it opens up things that might not be viable if you're having to put up your company and take out a bond in order to build this thing. Um, yeah, well, I, I, build, I build these business plans. I mean, I love the concept too, but yeah. those are 75% grants, which means 25% matching. And the 25% matching is really over 30% because you have to cover your operating expenses in the early years. Yeah. And so they are borrowing a lot of money to build these rural networks because the people are spread out. Well, hold and, on, hold and, on. And Let's be clear. Sorry, good. Doug. Right? I think yeah. it's worth clarifying. Yes. Sasha, Sasha did use the number of 42 and a half billion, which is going to rural. But I think we're talking about urban networks here where the yeah. economics are a little bit more friendly. And I, I think urban if, business plans too. And somebody still has to come up with the matching money. And it's right. And that's what I was going to say is yeah. that I actually think that if, if philanthropy saw an opportunity that they could put in 15% of the cost and then in guarantee. That would do it. That yeah. Would do it. Yeah. Let well, the Gates Foundation make it work. I completely yeah, the agree with you. themselves, right? I mean, well, the cities think nothing of building roads and making those freely available. There's a rounding error on that cost. All right, well, like, it doesn't even begin to rate. And the problem is we have to get over this idea that they have to get their money back on their bonds. Because that's right now, there's no city who, who politically wants to do a fiber bond and not get their money back. And it's just, yeah. it's because well, they're being pounded by the incumbents. They're being pounded by the incumbents. Not nobody. Fairlawn, Ohio is doing it kind of okay. quietly. Westminster is kind of doing it that way. And they're, quietly, they're sort yeah. of like, okay, we'll pay 75 or 80% with revenues and we'll cover right. a little bit, you know. And, that, right. and so that it's happening a little bit. A little bit. I, I have a few clients who are doing it, but it's small. Yeah. We also have to look more holistically at the return on investment, right? So to AT&T, you know, increases in property taxes due to property values going up, that's external to their bottom line. For a municipality, that is directly related to an investment in broadband and should be looked at as part of the return on making that investment. Well, and let me give you an example that, that says exactly what you just said. 
the city of Huntsville, Alabama, and Google Fiber. Google's only paying something like 60% of the cost of that network. Only. And it's supposed to be open access, and Huntsville's never gotten anyone else on it. And they're happy. They're going, the other benefits we're getting from this network make us, they're actually making those 40% of those payments out of their pocket. And they're, and they're happy to do so because they're saying the benefits to our city are gigantic. So you have to go, you have to get over that hump to go, we can afford to make this happen. But I think that the PR campaign that the is- PR campaign is the trouble. Because like, if you say, hey, we're going to do this and the taxpayers are like, why are you going to do that? Why, why are you subsidizing this connection when we have the free market? And then I have another question, and I think this is aimed at Travis, because Travis is not a huge ISP. I mean, no offense, Travis, you're no AT&T yet. And what do you think about what, like this kind of program for somebody who's in that kind of market? So I guess the first thing I ask is, so if I understood the, the theory is we're going to give away free baseline connectivity to everybody. That's kind of the, the general gist here. So why don't we give away free baseline electricity to everybody? Marginal yeah. cost is different. It is very. Is it? Yeah. It costs okay. a thousand. Bucks here's to here's the thing, though. Home. Actually, let's be clear, though. Actually, it's already, very interesting. Already, Travis, though. your question is actually very interesting because as we move to a grid that is increasingly, um, uh, you know, based on renewables that don't have a fuel cost, I actually think we'll go in that direction. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm just asking the question. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think people. I don't think people appreciate, and maybe Kim can touch on this a little bit, of how expensive these networks are to run, operate, maintain do correct customer service, do do everything. And the idea of doing it for free, I- No, well, let's be clear again. I'm sorry. So first of all, it's not always appreciated. Sasha has more experience than people like me, right? I've learned by looking at what people are doing and studying it. Sasha has actually run networks. So don't don't yeah, assume that- No, no, no I'm, just, I'm just curious yeah. because um, I'm curious, but, I'm but, curious but, so, how this works. But I think it's also to be clear, like Sasha is talking about a network that is maybe available to 10,000 people and perhaps everyone could get a free basic service um, and perhaps you know, 10, 20, 30, 40% of different communities choose to take that. The others are paying something, I'm assuming like only 40 or 50 bucks a month. And so, like there is revenue coming in they don't have well, a lot of the, well, they have they? almost no debt why would they why, why would because they, they want to have faster connect, connectivity i mean yeah. why would you like it's crazy to me like i mean i pay extra to comcast lots of people do like um especially if like if my only other choice the free service is like is the baseline of what the fcc defines as the minimum it, Try, let me get throw back to sasha though to answer that yeah, now I mean, kim i know you free over the air television exists all over the country and yet people still pay for premium service right yeah, but but the but the the content producers do that because they get ad revenue from the content. Mm-hmm. So so would you be would you be an advocate of of injecting in the HTTP stream ads so that the provider could recoup the cost of running the network? There, there are many ways to operationalize this, and I don't want to overprescribe a singular business model. What I am saying though is that we as a civil society do invest majorly, big time, in other free services. Primary education being a big one. And this is so valuable across the whole domain. I don't understand why we wouldn't say, hey, you know what? We, we talk about network effects. We talk about like how valuable this actually is to society. There's numbers being thrown around of like, you know, multi-trillion, multi-trillion dollar hits because we didn't have universal connectivity when COVID hit. Like the opportunity cost is so huge. 
Right. There are millions of children who are getting a shittier education because they do not have access in the home, even before they started going home. Oh, great. Amber alert. Sorry about that. Um, the um, there's um, there's a tremendous cost. And on top of that, the city of Minneapolis, the county, the state are all running super efficiently because they cannot assume that people are online. We need to make this transition. You know, the Eastern Bloc, like um, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, the things that they do are just blow my mind. Um, and and so it, they, these are the kind of costs that Sasha is including, encouraging us to inc uh, include that we are not including right now. But Kim, you you were trying to jump yeah, in earlier. I, I think I, I just wanted to like understand a little bit more. Are you talking about like offering this to everyone or just offering to low income? Is there any like parameters that these people would have to fit under it? Like uh, yeah, that you're looking at? Yeah, so you're asking for the detail. There's a lot of devils hidden in there for sure. And, and again, I think what's more important is that we have conversations about what the true costs of our failure to make these investments are. And then we start talking about, well, how would we operationalize this in a way that would effectively provide sort of minimal services across the board? Now, I think personally that you're going to have a rich ecosystem of different business models and players that could do that. But I think it's worth doing right and so that may be like travis getting directly a client let's say that's the city of minneapolis saying like look we need you to just provide this baseline connection and that changes then who the client is instead of travis looking to bill everyone for 25 by 3 service you just provide a baseline and then in many ways that as as comcast has realized like that low-cost service is often the beginning of an onboarding of a whole new client base for your premium services. I think we're likely to see that because frankly, yeah, 25 by three works really well until you, you know, have kids, let's say. And since we seem to continue to procreate, a lot of families are going to be like, yeah, this 25 by three was great when I was hanging out in my bachelor pad. But now every time they're gone online doing whatever they're doing, I can't do this kind of call. And so it will be a natural thing for folks to then move from that baseline into premium services in the same way that we've seen with so many other elements, right? But I think there's a lot of education that goes along with that because sure. I, I think we're making a lot of assumptions that people understand what 25-3 is and what 25-25 means or 100 over 20 means. And I think yeah. that there's education to yeah. you can do with that kind of connectivity and no, I, more connectivity. Doug's going to jump in here. I know. Yeah, that, this um, only that's, works. That's, this only works for Travis if the city gives him half the money, so he doesn't have to go to the bank to borrow. They yeah. just give it to him to build, right? So, would you do it under those circumstances if they gave you half well, of your construction budget? I, I think there's something kind of in the middle here, and I think you know, my original thought on what Sasha was saying is like I was, I was really struggling with trying to understand. I think I see I see where he's going with Happens it. Happens a lot. And Chris, you and I have tried this. We've tried giving this away. You know, we've tried every model under the sun. The connectivity is only one leg of what I think is the three-legged stool. I mean, they don't have technology, these folks. They're not yeah. computer savvy. You know, there's, and so just giving away <clears throat> connectivity is just one piece of it. And we, we, when we ran our pilot of giving it away, very few people even took it up 
took took up took us up on. Yeah, no, and so there's two things I would say to that. One is is I mean I really wanted to build on this, but I want to give Doug a chance to speak too, and that's that um, we we need programs. I mean we need uh, we got two and a half billion dollars in the Digital Equity Act that is now available. I think that's going to make a big difference. We need to probably spend more like ten billion dollars. Um, we need uh, we need people who are going to do these trainings. This is not something that we'll still be spending money on in 2030. Um, not nearly as much, maybe some, but um, we need to have a big core of trainings uh, in part because these benefits come from people not being able to go down to city hall and fill out paper, right? Like we need to move to new systems and we need to like get people to use those systems. Um, that involves a lot of training. Um, the other piece of it is Travis is I just think that it's one of those things that like, if you're like, if you see something that's happening in your building and you've never heard of it anywhere else and no one else has ever done it and you're like, Oh, free service. It looks like a scam. If like there's a, if there's a whole coordinated campaign where it's like everyone in Minneapolis now has this free baseline service, I do think we'd see more take up than we saw in the the effort that, that you did. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. unfortunately for this to work, the money's going to have to go to the incumbents because you can't put them out of business. That'll never get through the Supreme Court, and so but but they would take billions. I mean, we can oh, give yes billions, right? But then but then they have to actually follow through and get everybody connected, and that's you know. How do we make them not just pocket it? You know, there's a whole lot of issues to solve here. This is no show for political reality, Doug. Get that out of here. Let's go. I know. I think you're right. I like the idea, but I also have watched the income. I, I expect amount of federal money. Yeah, I expect, and right, we'll, we'll be able to empirically test this, but I expect that we're going to see some municipalities and et cetera do exactly this over the next few years with this funding that's being made available. I, I agree. It'll be the imagine, It'll be but imagine if like Minneapolis right. does this, but not St. Paul, where is everyone going to move? Right? Like there's a first Saint mover, Paul. massive, there's <laughs> a massive first mover advantage. And for, especially in rural areas, you know, places that do this are going to attract folks and places that don't are going to rapidly realize that mistake too late. So can, can you just hold that for a second? Because yeah. Travis really waved his hands and I don't want to lose oh, yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, no, no, because, because I, I, you know, this conversation fascinates me. And here's what I've whittled it down to is a hybrid model, of some, somewhat similar to what Sasha said, which he said is a very key point in there, is I think, and what the PC for People guys from all their experience have said, is the one thing I don't like is is hindered service. I think that that really sets people up to, to fail. So $10 a month coupled with the ACP, coupled with uh, gigabit speeds. And what Sasha said is really from a, a, an ISP standpoint, what you're trying to get are those kids who are maybe eight, nine years old right now, who in 10 years, they're your new customers because they have an appreciation for the connectivity. So that's the model we're heading down. And I, I think like it's going to be, I think it's going to be wildly successful. So it's not necessarily free, but the guys at PCs for people, they were adamant. They said, do not give anything away for free because they don't trust it. They think you're spying on it. They think you're selling your data that, you know, pe people just, they're suspicious. So that's, I, I wanna, that's go ahead, Kim. I want to say to Travis that first of all, we appreciate that he likes one um, federal program that is out there and uh, love it. Love it. Well, done, federal government. But okay, so I, I like I, yet again, I'm with Doug. I like this program. I like what we're looking at, but I, I do like I have some questions about it. So, say you have a muni network who gives free service, but you don't, and they're getting money like a federal subsidy, and you have a private entity like Comcast who doesn't. Will there be lawsuits um, ensuing that you are helping the federal government give away a free service while you're not helping 
the private sector give away free yeah, services? I mean, to me, it's well, a, it's a question yeah. for society. It's a normative question. So we have free education and we have private schools and those two coexist. And that was a decision we made as a society that we're just going to make this massive investment in the public good. And I would put connectivity up there as that essential. And again, like in most highly industrialized countries, we've done the same thing with healthcare. We haven't, obviously in the US, much to our chagrin, right? It's hard to look at like us paying the most for the worst outcomes in like the highly industrialized world and say like success looks like this. But when you talk to a lot of communities about connectivity, we're paying more, we're getting worse service in fewer locations than a growing list of other countries. And how it can look at that market failure over the last 15 years, post 2005 with Brand X and say, this is what success looks like. I think, you know, what the radical position is carrying on on the trajectory we've been on. The non-crazy one is to say, hey, we got to throw a wrench in that and try some new business models. And I hope that we're going to see a lot of innovation coming out of this tranche in a way that we saw a little bit, I would say, in 2009, but should have been a lot more given the rhetoric around this. I, 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 I believe second, there so. will be small cities who make this work. So, and there, so that mm -hmm. whether it spreads to big cities is the hard tranche because that's where the politics yeah. come in. So, um, but it it'd be awesome if they do it. So, yeah. I mean, this is this is not 42 billion. This is 420 billion. But we should do it. So, yeah. well, let's not let's not. Let's not appreciate the people that have come before us. I mean, look what we're doing right now. I mean, there's five of us on a high def video call. I'm in an RV park in Albuquerque. Chris is in some place called St. Paul that no one's heard of. And, you know, we're all dotted around the country, and we're having this we're having this debate or this conversation. You know, so I'm not sure saying that that the it, what we've built to date is a failure. I think it's no, uh, but it, it, this, no, but today what, I want to go back to something Sasha said. You know, we have I think we're right or not we're on the top around the 10th most expensive broadband in the world and the people above us are like afghanistan uh iraq and three and islands who are in the middle of yeah the but I mean, boy, broadband's ridiculously priced so. get in your car and drive how big this country is and there's nothing there yeah I, mean, it's a, so, I would love to be one of these small european countries you know everyone talks about how great singapore is hell we could wire singapore in an afternoon right I mean, yeah i mean Let's so let's. There's a couple of different things here that I want to just sort out, and we'll say goodbye to Sasha. Um, one is is that from what Travis had just said, our problem is our cities, um, and so the density really isn't that much of an answer. Um, you know, we're we are expensive because of our cities, not because of our rural areas so much. Um, the um, uh, the thing about the $10 a month, I think Travis is totally making a really valid point that like there are some people that want to pay and I think it makes sense. The challenge is just that it's not even worth collecting that money. Like, and, and so like there we have a conundrum of like, we don't want some people to feel bad. And so that's just different cities are going to wrestle with that in different ways. And it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. Uh, Sasha, let me give you just one last minute and then you can uh, run off to your dinner. Yeah. So, you know, I think it might not even be cities or counties that are going to pioneer these new models. I, I suspect it's actually going to be tribal authorities, that there is a profoundly innovative push happening out of this space, a part that, you know, uh, Chris is directly responsible for helping uh, cat herd and coordinate. But I think that we're going to see some really interesting models coming out. And this is like poorest of the poor, ruralest of the rural, least in you know, least networked areas of the country, if we can make things work there, 
through and innovate some business models that might not be sustainable on the single payer side of things, but are sustainable when you have a different client, perhaps a tribe. I think that becomes then something that a lot of other places in the country will look towards and say, well, if they can do it there, why aren't, why aren't we doing it here? So Sasha, let me just leave you then with hitting back at you with, um, with something that you said, which is that for people who are watching our three loyal <laughs> viewers, um, this, we need people to change. Like we really need like people to go out and to make this happen because Sasha mentioned healthcare. And the one thing that we know about healthcare is that for 50 years, people have been looking around and being like, this is so bad. It can't last like this for a while. Like something's got to change. And the simple fact is something doesn't have to change. It could very well get worse. And that's why we need people to be out there building coalitions and making it happen. Kim? I think this is what something I was at the National Leagues of Cities conference um, earlier this week, and somebody said this, the change happens, and I think this kind of reiterates what Sasha says, the change happens in small areas, and small areas um, like implement this change and the big cities follow, because big, big cities can't make implement these change without the politics happening. But if they can see these small communities starting and building on this momentum, bigger cities will follow. And I, I think that is something that kind of resonated with me because it was like change doesn't start from like necessarily these five million um, populated cities. It might start with the ones that are 300 um, with an innovative idea and then moving from there. That but isn't Utopia a classic example of that? I mean, you guys I think it is, but a let's, lot of success. Yeah. yeah. Sasha, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. I can't wait to see what happens next in this realm. It's going to be a crazy couple of years that we're all heading into. Cool. We'll get you on again soon. Awesome. Um, Doug, did you have a final thought there that I cut off? Well, there actually are some tribes already doing this. Uh, what they do is they do charge their customers and then they give them the money to pay the bill. And so, and so, and now, and now of course you can do that with ACP. And I think the big city who might actually pull this off, Chattanooga's having serious discussions about doing this. So, well, yeah, they're, I mean, they're paying up. They've paid and, off their telecom debt. Like, and they don't and have if they do this, then other cities like not far away, like Knoxville, Tennessee, are going to Longmont is talking about it, too. That. Yeah, right? Longmont's so, talking about it. So, you know, I, I, think, I think it is going to happen a few places. But for, to, but for it to spread to St. Paul, man, that's a stretch. Yeah. So. Well, Come well, on, you're killing me. <laughs> giving it like pay, make you charging them for it and giving back the money. What is what is the explanation of why they're doing it that way? Because they have, because the folks can't afford it, they actually have started regulated telcos. They can't give it away for free, Ooh. so they give them the money, they pay the bill. But they have they have tribal businesses that actually pay the bill for everybody, and uh, so it all looks good on paper. People get free broadband. Everybody's happy. Um, so, you know, sometimes you got to play the, the weird government games to make things work. That's really what it is. So, yeah. All right. Doug was making fun of me earlier saying we weren't going to get to all the topics. So what are, are cities we? doing well? What aren't cities nah. doing well? Let's just let's just uh, spend the We're rest of our time. Nine minutes. Come on. Man. Oh, no, <laughs> we've never finished the show in one hour. What would be the point of that? <laughs> we have a good we have a good 19 minutes, I would say. Um, so, um, Travis, let me let me throw it to you. Uh, what are cities um, doing well? You know, I what don't are, know. What aren't they doing? Well? I, I don't know if I'm necessarily educated enough to do it. I see a lot of cities think that they're going to put up some free Wi-Fi in the parks and places, and think that that's going to make a difference. I hate to break it to them; it's not. Um, and 
so I honestly, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. I don't really know what other cities are doing in relation to this. I think a lot of cities are doing a lot of talking. What's that? You're killing me, Travis, with this answer. Come on. There's cities who are doing a lot of things, right? Well, that's why I'm going to leave it over to Kim to tell us what cities are really doing well. (laughs) I think cities are taking action. I think that is a huge, like, victory. For the first time, and when I've worked in this industry for 11 years, cities are looking and really taking action to put the broadband into their own, um, like, making broadband their priority. To see cities saying, what model works best for me? What model, like, what company can I partner with? Um, calling Doug and Doug is like, I'm so busy, I can't answer your phone call. But they're actually looking into this. And I think that we discount how big of um, change that has happened in the last five years where like before they were like, cities are like, well, we have Comcast, we have AT&T, that is just what it is. And they're not thinking that way anymore. And I think that's a huge victory. What's our definition? That happened because of the pandemic. Cities got creamed because of the pandemic. I think they were doing it. Or the pandemic, but, they I, were, but, but now they're serious. Now they're okay, serious. Travis, what were you saying? What do we define as a city here? And what are some of these names of these cities? Because as far as I can tell, during the pandemic, cities to me are like water. They're going to take the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance is they all ordered a bunch of LTE pucks from whoever the cell provider was in town and then patted themselves on the back about how great a network they built. So I'm curious what cities we're talking about. And here. I have a different question that will get to the same point that Kim and Doug could oppose. Let me, okay. so it's, it's team Chris and Travis against team loser. And it's <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> just brutal today. Um, yeah. The con on the, on what Kim said, which I, I totally agree with um, the, the thing that I um, would come back with is I think for every city that's calling Doug, there's like 20 who aren't. And, and that's right. the part that pisses me off. And there's some who are calling Doug just so they can check a box and not actually take the next step. That's the right. part that worries me. I, I mean, I'm turning down some cities who want feasibility studies who I know are not going to do the work. So I, I say I'd rather help someone who's going to do it. So right. absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I get that. But I mean, like before we weren't too many cities, they're not like minimal cities. And so when every conversation I'm having, people are investigating and saying, before you had to explain what open access was, before you had to explain what P3 was, like, or whatnot. And I'm not seeing that anymore. I'm like, at least having the conversations. And I think to Travis's point, I don't disagree with you during the pandemic. Yeah, like providing Wi-Fi hotspots weren't like really feasible, but they're investigating how they get to better connectivity now. And I, and maybe I'm coming off the high from coming and talking to city officials for that purpose, I think this. So, um, but I, I really do uh, find some hope of what cities are doing. No, there's some pretty major cities doing some stuff here. Buffalo, New York, and I think it's Tempe, Arizona, one of the big Arizona. Tucson certainly has is a big Tucson city. Who's doing, who's doing, the, who's doing the, the, the wireless stuff to get out yep. to all the school kids for free broadband. You know, it's it's kind of the 25-3 thing. Is, that's about the kind of speeds that they're seeing. If you live close to it, you're seeing more like 50 or 75. That's doing something. They, they go, look, our school kids are going to. And then they're also having a big program to get computers in their home. And so, you know, that Buffalo is doing the same thing, Buffalo, New York. And, it's, and I'm sure there's other cities. And those things make a difference. All of a sudden, you know, Buffalo looked around and found out that in, their, in a lot of their neighborhoods, something like 60 and 70 percent of the homes didn't have broadband. They said, we got to fix it. And this was before the pandemic. This was, they started four years ago. 
And so they, they are doing the same wireless solution that, that they're looking at there. And so, you know, so I, I see people doing that. I see s- smaller cities building free, they're building the public housing and just give them the broadband free. They don't want to be an ISP. They're just hooking it up. And it's like, here's your broadband. I see the ones who are really doing a lot to answer Travis's question. Remember, there's probably nine or hundred or a thousand municipal electric companies. And a lot of them are looking to do this. There's 2,000 so, electrics, and at least 400 of them have long been doing stuff, and I think more of them are right. getting into it. But a whole lot of them are doing it, and they're going to build fiber, and a lot of them are talking about having the rates under $30, so with ACP it'll be free. I mean, they are all having these discussions. I'm, that's, I'm working with a whole lot of those folks. I, there are a lot of cities who are going to be doing stuff. There's a lot of cities who are doing absolutely nothing. So, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot yeah. of cities. You know, and that's the thing is I feel like, you know, St. Paul and Minneapolis are not Baltimore, Gainesville, or Knoxville. No. Like, and that's that's right. part of the problem that I think Travis and I have is the frustration. It's like the suburbs around here are not doing much. The the cities um, aren't doing much. And uh, there was a while where I was concerned that Minnesota's core cities would not be getting um, any money from uh, the rescue plan funds. And now I'm kind of worried they are going to get money because I'm afraid they're just going to give it to Comcast. And I'm just, I, I just feel like I'm on this like, um, this like roller coaster of stupidity of just like i'm just so frustrated well, 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 chris, chris you know they are we already know that you know they are right cities approached us about <laughs> utilizing that money to do some deployment and it all went to comcast so the the, the this the question here in this is this doing right i guess this goes this goes right back to the conversation we have all the time is if 25.3 is doing it right there's probably a lot of cities doing it i guess my opinion is until you put a gigabit in everybody's home and everyone's apartment building minimum, you haven't done it right. That's just my opinion. And, and this so- is this is this gets to this issue. Then I mean, I, I really want to hear from from um, particularly Doug and Kim on this because when I w- I'm excited about CBRS and Travis really helped me understand the costs and this and that and like um, the the issue in Tucson. My understanding is they're looking at like fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars per home served with CBRS. In some other places, they're they're looking at that also. These modems are expensive, like all these other costs, the work that they're doing. If you're spending that much money per home. I think, like Travis said, we got to be getting a gig to them. Why aren't we doing that? Well, for that kind of money, they're not very far away from being able to do it with fiber. And that's the yeah. problem. Yeah. Right. I, the I, CBRS I, isn't as cheap as we thought it would be, and it's not as it, good. It, it, CBRS, unless you own one of the one of the one of the licensed components or one of the licensed channels, you might get twenty, ten or twenty megahertz spectrum. It's it's well, the, be the cities who are doing it like Buffalo, they do own the spectrum. Remember that some of those guys owned that spectrum back in the days when the school. But how, how big a channel are they going to get? I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 not. I don't think people understand, and maybe this is one of the education topics we could talk about: is how much bandwidth a neighborhood uses mm-hmm. on a Monday, sun, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday evening when they're all streaming Netflix and Hulu and playing video games. I think they think that you can just do this like off one Wi-Fi access point, which is effectively what a CBRS tower is. So I think they're going to be sadly disappointed in the results. Kim? I don't think that what Tucson is doing is right. I don't think that's the right model. I think it costs too much per home. But I have to commend them for doing something. And maybe I'm positive poly today. And maybe that's just what it is. Maybe I've switched places with Chris, who's always like nothing. Like I could be watching basketball right <laughs> now. You have to, you have to stop. You're not talking like Team Loser here. Come on. <laughs> well, remember CBRS is easy too. 
You know, yeah. the, the four of us could set up a Severus tower this afternoon. It's it's plug and play. Yeah. But, it, so, but I think too. I don't think Kim finished. I um, yeah. and and I do want to note it's possible that I was I'm confusing a different city with Tucson. There are places where I'm seeing numbers that are in the order of fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars per user for CBRS. <laughs> if it's not Tucson, I'm very sorry for for um, uh, abusing your project. Go ahead, Kim. I know that Tucson's doing it, so that's the old, that's the reason I said it. But yeah, no, I think it's good that they're doing it. I think that we need to recommend and like help cities get to the knowledge. And I think that's what we try to do on Connect This in a bizarre kind of backwards way of helping <laughs> communities realize that they can do something, but what it is. And I think that goes into Doug doesn't have enough time to consult with all the cities in America. So they're having bad consultants who are coming in and selling them something they shouldn't. But yet again, they're taking action. And I think yet again, we have to commend them for that. Absolutely. And I got a 30 yeah. second plug in because I went I just talked to a city recently who had, had literally had six other consultants knock on their door with really bad ideas. Those those folks are out there right now selling snake oil. It's terrible. It's terrible. Well, and if you're if you're the incumbent, I would encourage rolling up the BRS. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh yeah, here, here's a bunch of other technologies. You go ahead and play with wireless and everyone, and everyone will spend their money on it and the incumbent will be will win at the end. Right. No, Doug, do you know what's going on? I mean, Charter and Comcast have a bunch of the CBRS licenses, don't they? Yeah, but they're going to use it for their own. They're off. They're using it. Remember, they're in the cellular business. Right. Well, that's what I was curious about. So, I mean, so what Travis just said is possible. Data. They're using it for cellular data. So, oh, what they're doing, remember, they buy cell minutes from, from T-Mobile. And for every minute they can get onto their own spectrum, it's free. And so that's what they're doing, so. I have thought that they haven't really used it yet. I mean, I think oh, that's what yeah. the plan was. Oh, they're, so well, they've they, already they deployed not, it? They've only just started to deploy that. Remember, they offload a lot already onto Wi-Fi. Remember, Comcast has the biggest Wi-Fi network in the world. And so they, they capture something like 60 to 70% of their cellular minutes on Wi-Fi today. CBRS will pump them up another 10 or 15%. And so, you know, they, they will be a formidable cellular carrier just in the cities. I mean, so they... You know, they're doing it kind of smartly. So. But I think that CBRS is not a bad thing if they're using it in the, like, for their emergency, like, management system or something else. I think it's being sold as a, um, like, an in-home solution and a low-cost um, solution for, like, people with lower demographics or whatever. Like, But I don't think that's the case. I agree. Well, and it's just like what Travis said. It's like they're poor. 10 megabits is great. What the hell are you complaining about, yeah. right? That's that's well, exactly and the that, and that's, that's the if attitude behind some of it. So if you're Comcast or CenturyLink, I would highly encourage the city to explore CBRS. Use all your government free printed money and roll and out. The your funny thing is, the funny thing is in Arizona, they sued the city to try to stop them. So oh, why would they? If, if I mean, Kim, if somebody yeah. overbuilt the CBRS yeah. network on top of Utopia Fiber, would you care? No, I, I wouldn't care at all. I'm like, that thing will be dead in four years. So well, I do have CBRS over top of them. You have, you can, you do, but they're not right. using it for a, like a whole city solution. It's right. like not, that is not what it's meant for, but this right. is going back to this, like the new 5G, like 5G is going to be your, your solution to all your broadband problems. It's not, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, oh uh, I, I, I'm, I'm in shock now. <laughs> The um, one of the things that I wanted to note is that uh, even if, you know, it looks like CBRS is not working for these cities, uh, we do want to thank them for going out and trying it and seeing what can be done. I'm, I'm really tired of of people um, refusing 
to credit those who have tried things. Like I think one of the things that I've I really like about Travis is he's like, oh, new technology. Let's give it a try. He doesn't. He's not like I'm so smart. I've been doing this for 15 years. Like I know all about this technology already. Yeah. Like it's dumb. Well, he's like, let's want, try. Do you want me to tell you the secret of this entire industry? And the white papers that you get and the tech sheets are always wrong. They, they, it doesn't work half as good as they say. So, yeah, never. yeah, just try it. You know, maybe, maybe it works for some people, but I am, I don't know. I'm just so religious now when it comes to fiber and Ethernet because mm-hmm. there's, there's just so many, it's, it's just such a far superior technology to everything else. Oh, and, no. And, I was, I've, I've been watch. told, I've been told recently again that because almost all devices are wireless, it is dumb to use wires. So, from someone well, who use, actually works in this business. Use wireless in your home and use wireless when you're walking around on your phone. But um, if you want to do serious computing, you're not going to do it. Guys, I have a bone to pick right now that Jim Forrester said, nice shirt, Doug, and like didn't like my princess shirt that I like with the princess shirt. <laughs> my princess shirt. Hey, good. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> I don't I don't know why we would move on. <laughs> um other so I just, I wanted to say I mean like there's a lot of people I feel like who um, were of the opinion like yo Utopia ha 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 like you know they were they were they were too bold they were too daring they tried to do something different idiots like so I just wanted to say like you know like yeah like I think we're drawing lessons away from it I'm really glad people are trying these different things and I try I try to keep this mind of just sort of like I don't think that's gonna work I love that you're running the experiment like check it out um, well you gotta remember Utopia struggled like hell because in the beginning when you're little that was a yeah. horrible model you before just, they you had needed Kim. economy you needed economy of scale and you needed Kim. Yeah, no, it's yeah. yeah, no Utopia. Like I will say it, like that it was the persistence and the people who were at Utopia that made it. Right, successful. they finally made it work. It, right. it wasn't like it was. Wait, somebody uh, just liked yeah. your shirt now. Well, they could have. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was Jim, a little late. A little late. A pity, pity yeah. like, but thank you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, but no, I think it's what I hear, and I think this goes back to something we said before, is every model doesn't work for every city. Because people ask me all the time, will open access work everywhere? I don't believe it will. And I think you have to find the city and the model that works for your community. And I agree with Chris. Maybe we don't agree with it on this podcast, but it doesn't mean that we're right and it won't work for your community. So anything else that we want to, I mean, we did have this idea of innovative ideas. We kind of stuck with that one model that that Sasha presented, which I still, I'd really like to see more experimentation along those lines. But I'm curious, are there things that we should see private companies doing that like they're just, they're just not being innovative and trying new things that we should be encouraging? Private companies are simply business plan driven and they're not creative and they're not going to get creative. uh, You know, Travis is the most creative ISP I know, plus Plus, you know, the guys in San Francisco, and there's not many others. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 no one's willing to take a chance. Are you talking monkey um, brains out of San Francisco? Is that what you're talking about? Hmm? Monkey brains? Is that what you're talking about or somebody else? No, no. The other. What's what's her name, Chris? I, I should know. I'm not tracking. The I, the big ISP overbuilder in San Francisco. Oh, Sonic. Dane Sonic, Jasper. Sonic, yeah. 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 <clears throat> Well, we talked. We talked about it before. We I mean, got he's on doing ten gigabit for forty bucks a month everywhere right. still, and right. he still he still has a job. Go ahead, Doug, Travis. Yeah. And we talked about that a little bit before we got online. Here is just how tough it is to to get started, and uh, it's getting more difficult by the day. So, it, it'll. I, I think 
the thing I always say is it always starts with one. A lot of these people spend so much time analyzing and researching. Just get one customer going, then get your second customer going and your third. Before you know it, you've got a thousand customers and you finally have enough cash flow to, to, to keep reinvesting back in the business. This is not an overnight snap your fingers thing. No, I, I, work with a, I work with a nonprofit who about five years ago who talked about starting a multi-billion dollar fund just to help new ISPs get started to make those initial loans because that is impossible to borrow the money. And so, yeah. you know, that was a brilliant idea. They just never quite got there. But um, so there, you know, there are some interesting ways. There's a lot of guys who could run great ISPs, but they can't get going. You can do the, I have a whole lot of guys who've done the one to two to 10 to hundred and five yeah. years in there to 3000 and they still can't borrow a lot of money. You know, yeah. they, every year they can borrow a little more. But the banks have gotten tighter during the last seven. Doug, years. do you have a sense like if 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 we just like kidnapped you and said that you know you could only eat if you give us um, a way to evaluate uh, the best people to run ISPs so we were making sound investments? Do you think you'd be able to choose between those that were like a certain large ISP in Minnesota that we all hope doesn't get art off money and those who are run in a more professional manner? Believe it or not, you can. You can test them. You can test anybody whether they have the technical skills, but you can't really test if they have common sense. I hate to say, <laughs> right, Kim? Mm -hmm. I mean, I some people who look good on paper are just dreadful business people. Like it's it's like you and I think that my CEO Roger and I don't know if he's watching this or not is he's one of the few that he was a CTO. He's a network engineer by heart, um, but he's a businessman, and you do not find that combination. No, you do not. There's way too many. Engineers who are make the worst business people in yeah. the entire universe because they don't see it. They don't see that there's a customer. Like one of the things I hear from some engineers all the time is, "Well, people, if you build it, they will come." And you're like, "Yeah, that's a great solution. See how that goes in five years where you right. are." And what what else would Roger be doing? You know, I, I like making Lego castles or like I know he's making like he make pinball machines. I, he, that okay, means we're doing an event in Salt Lake City. That's it. We gotta. I wanna. I wanna come. I gotta spend more time with Roger. I'm tired of just like seeing him occasionally in rooms and stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah, like I, I think he like is probably the geekiest person I know. I mean, he has more Star Wars helmets um, than anybody, and I haven't even. Travis seen just woke Star Wars. up. I will challenge you, Kimberly. <laughs> I will challenge you to that. So. As the owner, as, as an owner of a 1978 vinyl cape Jawa, you t you ask Roger if he can hang with me. <laughs> Wait, if he's online, he can pipe, he can pipe. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He, would, yeah. he would be all in this because, like, I get made fun of as working as a technical company that I've never seen all the Star Wars, um, Travis. So. It's okay. I'm not yeah, sure if it's possible awesome. to see all the Star Wars, but I assume you just mean the cinematic releases. <laughs> <laughs> I you have never seen the Star Wars. Cinematic. Wow. Well, you know, it's like me saying I've never, um, I've never listened to the Grateful Dead either. So maybe Doug would, uh, you know, yeah. Well, I, I hate to tell you, but we, I don't think I can be on a panel with him anymore. <laughs> I don't but I believe it's possible that Travis hasn't heard Grateful Dead. He just hasn't gone. Well, no, I always say that Touch Gray and Real Deadheads are like that. Isn't the Dead right? That's but, not the Dead. No. I was driving from Yuma up here, and there was a big uh, dedicated to Jerry Garcia road along the way. I don't know if he grew up in this area or not, but uh, that is uh, it was a big to-do driving down the freeway. Now, he grew up in the Bay Area. So I, I want to say one other thing. We're going to be closing out in a second. Um, 
Um, Henry, did you get the other thing I forwarded you from my personal account? It's another image. Um, if you want to throw that up, we can. Otherwise, we'll save it for the next time. Um, but we um, earlier, there was a discussion. I think Doug said that Google's the only one on Huntsville. As I understand it, there are 10 leases on Huntsville. It's just that most none of them are citywide except for Google. No, um, there's a lot of ones. And so I, yeah. I didn't mean to imply that. But there's they have not gotten their original pile of people paying right. 100% of the right. cost. Right. In, in West Des Moines, you know, they announced a similar arrangement. I think Google's paying much less than 60%, um, maybe closer to 40, 50%. Um, in that case, they have um, two others that have uh, come on. I mean, on Mediacom. Mediacom um, says they're coming. Yeah, that was a dramatic change, and then um, and then there's another provider as well that's also using it. So, uh, you know, I think you know it's interesting to see what happens with these uh, networks as they as they move forward. And I, you know, what, prior to 1996, we didn't have 7,500 ISPs, right? Like, <laughs> we may have gotten to the time because of these private investors that we might see people show up on these these uh, I don't you know, so, open okay, access let's, networks. Let's, yeah, let's finish up on that because that's really like we lost Empire. It was an empire that just got bought in New York, I think. Um yeah. I um I'm curious if we're just gonna lose them faster than they can be created at this point. That's they, possible because they get gobbled up and everyone's consolidating. You're right. So that's well, and remember, I, remember Travis is, Travis is gonna sell to Comcast in seven or eight years when he retires anyway. So <laughs> No, you know, you, I don't. You, you get you get enough revenue going, you can just kind of you know harvest it forever. But the uh, you know the thing is, is with these upstarts, so how much equity is somebody willing to give up? Are you willing to give up 80, 90 percent equity to get the cash you need to start your dream? Well, now your dream's ten percent. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how many people are going to do that. And then the other on the other token, how many people are going to risk their house and their kids' college funds and their four hundred one ks to personally guarantee debt? I don't know. I don't know how many people are out there. I, I was I was told I was told a number of years ago that I was never allowed to do that again. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I know exactly what that's like. So. I, I'm yeah. gonna go back to Doug's comment that like he's gonna like Travis is gonna retire when he sells to Comcast. I thought Travis was retired. Like I mean, look at him. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, so I'm busily working here. <laughs> so we have the we do have the last photo now, and um, this has to do with all of this. Uh, this will be the the thing that sends us out because um, the next time we get together, um, the vaults won't be in this shape. Look at that, Doug. What do oh you my think? Goodness. That is a wow. minuscule in the middle of winter. It's Boy, preserved. Sure that, so, I sure hope that nobody has to try to fix someone's line out of there. Oh, Future yeah. scientists <laughs> are going to pull that out and they're going to try and learn about our culture from it. <laughs> Wow. So here, here's the moral of the story. If you're if you're starting a new ISP, try to avoid being north of I think what the Mason Dixon line because uh, this is what you deal with in the winter. And yes, you know uh, Susie's internet is not working, and the problem is in there. What are you going to do? You say Susie yeah. will fix it in May, is what you say. Yeah. yeah. I've heard somebody use a Mason Dixon line in so many years. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of something. I I don't even know where that is. What goes east and west? Um, <laughs> So thank you, thank you, Henry, for for pulling that together. Oh, that um, was ugly. Next next week we are uh, scheduled to have on uh, two exciting guests: um, Jason Hardebeck from Baltimore and Joshua Edmonds from Detroit to talk about what their cities are doing right. Uh, these are two cities that I really wish um, other cities were paying attention to, and I hope that they really learn from. Um, so that's going to be an exciting show. And then we're going to take two weeks off because I'm going to take two weeks off. <laughs> and by being off, I just mean I'm going to be working not in this office. And if I'm not in St. Paul, I can't guarantee I'm going to have an awesome connection and just be in the mood to do the show. So we're going to take two weeks off 
and we'll be back hopefully with Kim and Doug, uh, some new stories. Um, it's always wonderful sharing a show with you. Thank you so much for spending this time with I us. I have a closing comment for Team Loser here. So I'm never, ever going to say, Kim, break a leg. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, see, Doug, like you have the tie dye, I have the princess. I feel like we need to figure out our brand better than Team Loser. We got to figure. Uh, yeah, well I, well, I think that I think maybe that that's that's projecting is what I think is going on. <laughs> who's who's Team Winner? Not you two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope so it's Team Loser versus Team Loser. Is that what we're dealing with? No, no, no. It was Team Loser versus Travis and Chris. I was that creative. That's how creative. Oh, okay, I am. okay, yeah, yeah. I think we lost though, Chris. Yeah. I think we're all winners, and I'm gonna go watch half of the teams that are on TV lose. Um, do people people romanticize March Madness. March Madness is uh, is a tournament in which uh, what like 67 of 68 teams are crushingly disappointed. Yes, <laughs> yes, they're, yes. yes. They're, they're crushed. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. It's been a wonderful episode of this was a Connect good episode. This.